Well, we're in part two of a, actually part three of a series that we're calling Wise Guy. Somebody look to someone next to you and say, Wise Guy. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you the book of James. Uh, James is a wise dude. I mean, this guy, he just got some really, really good things to impart into the church and to impart into us. And, you know, it's really clear as we take a look at the book of James that he was heavily influenced by the wisdom literature in scripture. Uh, books like Proverbs and some of the wisdom Psalms and Job and just the list can go on and on and on. And some scholars would actually call James uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Testament. And so uh, it's pretty cool the things that he has to say. Now, his wisdom that he gives us, it's kind of like, it's kind of the wisdom that hurts. Somebody say, ouch. It's that kind of wisdom. And so it's not always a fun book to dive into, but it's a challenging book. And, and it's a book that will uh, promote incredible, incredible things in our life if we listen to James. James is super straight up. He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, but it's important as we read James that we do it with the backdrop of the new covenant in mind. And, and actually, if you read James carefully, you'll actually see that. So you don't have to bring that or add that into it. You'll see it if you care carefully read his letter that way. Well, week one, we talked about uh, the connection between wisdom and peace. And week two, we talked, or excuse me, wisdom and joy. And uh, today we're actually going to be talking about wisdom and peace. And if you've missed any of the messages in the series, you can check them out online, our podcast, YouTube, or the Church Center app. Well, here's our theme verse for this series. It comes from James chapter one, verse five. And, and, and here's what it says. It says this, if you need wisdom, Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he won't rebuke you for asking. Aren't you grateful that God is just generous with his wisdom when we need it? Well, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the wisdom that your word gives us. We thank you that you're generous uh, with wisdom for us. We know that your wisdom will change our life. It will improve our life. It will challenge our life, God, and it will bless our life. It will bless those around us. God, it would, it would be very uh, ignorant and irresponsible of us to ignore the wisdom that you have to offer us in the book of James. So we open our hearts today, and God, we need you to speak to us, and we need your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds. And the good news says that we have you. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Somebody say a big amen. amen. So it's interesting to note, if you ever read any commentaries on James or any scholarly work on James, you actually see that uh, they refer to him a lot as Jacob. And it's really interesting. It's just because his Greek name is translated as Jacobus. And so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I did not know that before I started uh, studying this. And so if you ever see that, it's just, it's still the same James who wrote this book. Now, we know that James is a half-brother of Jesus. One of the reasons why they call him the half-brother is, well, of course, because uh, Jesus' father is God and uh, his mother is Mary. And so uh, James' father is not God in heaven. He has a different earthly father uh, than uh, Jesus. And so uh, he's known as a peacemaker uh, who led with wisdom and strength in his peace and courage in his peace. Well, let's take a look today to see what we're going to find in this book uh, regarding the connections between wisdom and peace. So today, as we look through uh, the entire chapter of chapter three, um, this, this theme of peace actually bleeds all the way into chapter four. But how many of y'all know that 
that we got to eat lunch today and we don't got time to get into chapter four. So we're going to just deal with chapter three today. So James actually really shakes things up as a peacemaker here. And, you know, it's interesting that sometimes when we think of peacemakers, um, sometimes we think of people who maybe are weak, uh, people who are not strong. But in fact, if we look at the life of Jesus, he was a mighty peacemaker. He was incredible at making peace. In fact, when he came, peace came to earth for the very first time. In, in his peacemaking, excuse me, uh, Jesus was actually quite confrontational. And uh, one of the things that is, is key for us to understand about peace is that there's a difference between peacemakers and peacekeepers. See, a peacemaker, they pursue peace even when it makes others uncomfortable, if it rises up and, and makes a loud sound for the truth. Uh, peacekeepers are people who keep peace at the expense of truth. They withhold the truth just so that they can make sure that things feel okay. That's not the kind of peacekeeper that James was, nor the kind of peacekeeping that God wants out of us. He wants us to be peacemakers, and we can see that all throughout the book of James. So here's the first thing I notice as we approach chapter three, that James is speaking into our life regarding the connection between wisdom and peace. Here's what he says. He says, let the peace of God rule your words. Somebody say words. How many know that words can be kind of challenging? It can be challenging to let the peace of God rule our words. And, and here's what he says in James chapter three, verse number one. He says this, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. How many of you want to be judged more strictly? <clears throat> Let's just move on. Uh, we all stumble in many ways and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. I, I think we probably could have highlighted that word, never capitalize it, just really needing the fact that we will never be perfect with the words that we use. And, and so here's what he says. He says that uh, uh, the person, nobody can be perfect because he would be able to keep his whole body in check. Now, I, I know that uh, if you consider your life and we consider our lives set we don't see any perfect people walking around here on this earth, maybe except the person of Jesus. So we see James here giving a caution in regards to how we would use our words when it comes to teaching others. He's telling us, hey, if you want to be a peacemaker, then, then let peace guide your words. Now, not let peace guide some of your words, but let them guide every word. How many know that is a tall order to let the peace of God guide every single one of our words. See, here's the principle. It says that when the peace of God rules our heart, it requires us to choose all our words wisely. How many have ever been tired before and you just don't choose your words wisely? How many of you, uh, when you get around the people that you really love and you know they're just gonna accept you, as you are, you don't really choose your words all that wisely. How many of you know when it comes to maybe your best friends when you're tired and irritable or your spouse or your kids, you give everyone else your best words except the people who actually deserve your best words. The people who are so committed to you in life. And sometimes we, we, uh, we shortchange them by not giving them the best of our words. 
Here's the bottom line for James as he says this, that we must let the peace of God rule our words in how we teach others. Now, this scripture is specifically addressing those who are teaching in the church. The original word here for teaching is actually better rendered as the word master. And when people called in the Jewish culture, when they gave somebody the title of master, it was a very special title. Uh, in fact, uh, the followers of Jesus called him master. It was a special word of endearment to Jesus. It was a word saying, hey, I'm choosing to submit to you because as master, you rule, uh, you judge, you teach, and you guide. And so this was a very, very, very esteemed position. And James is saying that there's some of you in the church who you're sneaking in and you're taking on the role of master. And perhaps you don't have the either maturity or authority to come in and speak to people in this way. Now, I think that there is something that we all can learn uh, from this principle of teaching others and using our words. Because here's the truth about you and I. It's this, that we are constantly teaching the people around us by the words that we use every day, every day. Our words are teaching, or they're teaching our kids, they're teaching our coworkers, they're teaching our family, and they're teaching our neighbors, everyone around us, our words are teaching. Because see, words reveal, they reveal our attitudes, they reveal our beliefs, they reveal what we value, and we're teaching people, we're teaching people, this is what I'm about, this is who I am, and how many know that when we just spew our words out of, uh, not in wisdom, but outside of wisdom, we don't want to be judged for that because we know that in our hearts, we're a different person and we don't want to let those things rule us. And so it's so important that we make sure when we open our mouth and use our words, that we do it in, in line and in obedience with the, the King of Kings and the peacemaker of all. Um, we're teaching people how to think about ethics when we speak. We're teaching people how to think about morality when we speak. We're teaching people what they should think about God and the church when we open our mouth. And, and it never stops. There's a constant teaching and the list can go on and on and on. And you may not stand behind a pulpit or, or behind a, a classroom with a piece of chalk in your hand, but it is true. In fact, you are constantly teaching people all around you. See, James knew the propensity that humans have to not teach well and to teach outside of wisdom. He knew that, that they, that when tempted, that humans would speak out of fear to control and dominate, dominate and manipulate and just try to make the narrative work in their favor. He knew that. So he came to them and he brought a challenge. And I think the challenge is very appropriate for you and I to receive today, that we are to make sure that all of our words are under the rule and peace of God. Perhaps the people in this church uh, needed some advice in this area. Perhaps, I mean, probably not you, but maybe just a couple of us could use James's wisdom in this area. I think maybe James was saying, hey, some of you, you love teaching people on how they should worship, how they should raise their kids, how they should do relationships, how they should understand some scripture. And James was saying, you should be careful because those of you who put yourself in that position without being placed in that position by the authority of God and, and by the authority and relationships with others coming in the correct way, he's saying, you need to know something, that when you do that, you're gonna be judged more strictly. You're going to be judged more harshly. Now, 
it's really hard from scripture to understand what this judgment or who this judgment is coming from. It's hard to understand, is this judgment actually coming from God or is it coming from people? Here's what I know, that either way, when we step up in front of people to lead, rule, and judge, we're going to be judged. And in fact, people are going to look at us and they're going to judge us differently. They're going to say, okay, you, you're up there or you're speaking on behalf of this situation. So, so now I'm going to judge you. And, and I expect you to do everything right. I expect you to say everything in wisdom. I expect that all of your words are impeccable. And by the way, as teachers and as pastors, we've got to reconcile with that. And, and no matter what field that you teach in, you've got to reconcile with that. And so that requires us to really come under the humility and obedience of the Lord so that when we speak, that we're saying the right things. Because people are going to judge us. They're going to judge you. That's just, that's just how it is. And one of their favorite ways to judge you is they want to make sure that you're judging the same way that they would judge. That's the fun thing about it. And how many of you know that usually um, we judge quite differently than how God judges? So even when we come and bring God's perfect words into a situation, it will offend some people because true peacekeeping will bring some offense to those who are walking outside of God's ways. So the challenge uh, to, to step up in the midst of the world as a teacher in however you're teaching is that you will offend. That's just part of it. And we're in a culture right now that says at all costs, make sure you don't offend anybody. How many know that that's just unrealistic? That's just unrealistic. Now, James is known for using colorful illustrations, uh, and he gives some in this, in this, uh, in chapter three in regards to our words and how we use our tongue. And here's what he says in James chapter three, starting at verse three. He says this, consider how a great forest is set on fire by such a tiny, tiny little spark. He says this, he says, the tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay. Wow. Every time you speak up and your words set a spark and they, they set a little fire, James is saying, hey, that fire is not coming from God. It is coming because you are influenced by the enemy. Yeah, I mean, we should say, ouch, James, really. I mean, have you ever used words that have sparked a fire and it's like, ouch, okay, you're, you're right, you're right. How do we know if our rule, if our words are not being ruled by the peace of God? Well, James says this, he says, perhaps you will often find yourself at the detonation site of the fire. See, uh, Chris and I have uh, been watching Chicago Fire. We, you know, we're getting really good at, at understanding how fires work. And um, one of the things they try to find out when there's a fire is where's the detonation point? Like, where did this get set off? And it will tell us whether it was arson or it will tell us whether it was an electrical issue. It'll, it'll help you to know how did that fire start? Who's at fault? What was the motive? And James is saying, hey, I just want you to know that if you find yourself at the center of the detonation site, then it is you who's causing the spark. Everybody say, ouch. James, we don't really like you right now, but we do love you. See, for the right words to flow in the way of peace, 
um, we need some things. And here's some practical teaching for us. We need the right words. We need the right timing of our words. We need the right attitude, emotions, and hearts when we give our words. And we need the right location when we give our words. Here's, here's what I mean by that. There are times when an email or a text message is appropriate. And there's times when a phone call is appropriate. But there are times when an email cannot communicate what needs to be communicated. There's times when a text message is the wrong way to communicate. There's times when picking up a phone is not the right thing. But there are times when you've got to communicate something hard. And when it involves the heart, you need to get face-to-face with somebody. They need to see your eyes. They need to see your facial expressions. They need to see the intent and the emotion. They need to see all the things so that they can hear you correctly. Perhaps we're in a world who has just lost the art of face-to-face conversations. People who communicate hard things um, and they don't do it through face-to-face conversations are cowards. That's not in my notes. See, we've got to do it with the right words, the right timing, the the right attitude, the right heart, because when we don't, see, we can have all the right words. I mean, the Holy Spirit could have downloaded to us all of the mysteries of the situation. You might have all of the right information, but if you do it in the wrong timing and you do it with the wrong attitude and you do it in the wrong place, it's the wrong words and you spark a fire. Here's another sign that James gives us that perhaps um, that, that, that our tongue and our words are unruly and they're not being used correctly. Here's what he says. He says that, that it actually corrupts the whole body. See, when we spark a fire, it doesn't only just corrupt that moment or that situation, but it corrupts everything around it. And James says, hey, uh, you can notice when your words are unruly because there's corruption everywhere you go. You find yourself at the center of it. There's always something going on. There's always a fire. There's always an emergency. There's, just, there's always drama. There's always huge situation. It's just, it just never ends. There's always stuff. And, and, and we could say this in a way that makes everyone feel bad and puts that person down, but, but that's not the heart and intent of Jesus. He, James is speaking just truth right here, just straight up. Here's what it is but not in a way that hurts you and wounds you and makes you want to run, but in a way to confront you and a way to challenge you. And we must look at our inner life and we must look around us and ask ourselves the question, is there a lot of drama around me? Is there a lot of fire around me? And ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, am I the reason for that? That's a fair question. Am I the reason for that? If you're somebody with a lot of that in your life and you have not asked that question, Scripture requires us to ask ourselves that question. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Hmm. Why does Paul say that? Because Paul knows that you, our words, must be ruled 
by Christ. In the same way that James says that that spark and that fire actually corrupts the whole body, also Paul says that as members of one body, when we are ruled by peace, we bring peace into the whole body. And sometimes we're looking around and being like, why is everybody this way? And why is my family? Why is everybody on edge? And why is this? And perhaps maybe it's because of you. Perhaps maybe the peace of God is not being ushered into your family through you. See, in your notes, when the peace of God rules our heart, it calls for wise words. You will never regret words spoken in truth, love, and kindness. You won't. You will never regret words spoken in truth, love, and kindness, but you will regret words that are spoken that are twisted, words that are not done in truth, or words that are just half-truth, not done out of a motivation of love, because you could speak God's word, which is love, but you could say it in an unloving way, and you can speak out of, out of hatred and not kindness. And you could be saying all the right things, but doing all the wrong way. And that leads to a life full of regret. And James is trying to say, church, I'm trying to teach you how to live a life of peace. You want more peace in your life? You're tired of looking around at the striving and the, the, constant, uh, the constant anxiety and the, and the constant worry and stress around you. Here it is, James says, be wise with your words. And next thing we notice that he says, he says, let the peace of God rule your inner life. Because that spark is not because of other people. See, we can't blame our spark on other people. We are the one with the ignition switch. And it is up to us to choose. I'm, I'm doing this. You're, you're wondering what that is. I don't even know what that was. It actually looked like a lighter, but it was really like, um, it was really like a Bunsen burner deal where you like grab that thing and it's like... And it makes a little spark. That's what was going on there, if you wanted to know. That was not in my notes either. But, but see, we're the only one who can control what comes out of here. Nobody controls you. We are under the control and submission and dominion of God. Now, we can choose to step outside of that or live in that. When we step out of it, well, I said this because you said that, and I wouldn't have done this if you didn't do that. Okay, that's great worldly wisdom, but that's terrible godly wisdom. That kind of stuff doesn't work in the kingdom of God. God says, you're not judged because of what everyone else does and says around you. He says, you're judged by my kingdom rule. And my kingdom rule says, be impeccable with your words. We see in James uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 13 through 18, so James taps a little bit deeper. He goes, he goes beyond what's coming out, beyond our words, and he starts tapping down into the heart. And, and, and here's, here's what he says. He, he's, he's wanting people to look into their inner life. And here, here's the challenge. See, when we're not at peace on the inside, we cannot be at peace on the outside. When we're not at peace on the inside, we cannot be at peace on the outside. James, in this passage, kind of lays out two types of wisdom. And, and, and this type of wisdom that he's laying out has everything to do with the inner life. He talks about wisdom from God and then wisdom from the world in this passage. 
Let's read uh, verse 13 together. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Okay. If you think you're wise and understanding, well, then how about this? Let them show it by their good life, by their deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. See, James is like strong. He's like, okay, you presume to be wise and understanding. Well, let's make sure that your standard of wisdom and understanding is God's standard, not the world's standard. And he said, because here's how we can know the difference. See, we can just look at your good life. See, if, if you're being ruled on the inside by the peace of God, by the wisdom of God, then we're going to see it in your deeds. We're going to see it in your action. And, and as we notice and see it, it's going to be done a certain way. It's going to be done in humility. See, the first thing we see in here is, is that we can see the good life of people who live by the way of God's wisdom. It's not their own goodness. It's not their own righteousness or rightness. It's God's shining through them. It's the fruit of his spirit. Here, God is saying the results of somebody who lives by God's wisdom is incredible fruit. And in fact, you can be at incredible peace and peace could be being dispensed all around you when you're ruled on the inside by the Holy Spirit. No matter what's going on on the outside of you. That's what's so amazing about believers. That is what the good life that James is saying, because there are, there are people in this world that are living frantically and they get around you and they say, what is wrong with you? I mean, the world is, the sky is falling. The world is, is, is falling apart. I mean, the church is losing a foothold in the world and everything is becoming secularized and oh my goodness. And they're at stress and anxiety and strife and worry and concern. And I'm like, James is like, you call that the good life? That's the wisdom of the world. And although that is true, what else is also true about the world around us is that we can be ruled by God in the midst of all that and walk in peace. And we can begin to bring peace to the situations around us. He also says this, he says that you can see the peace of God in, in the way that the people are humble and their humility. See, when it comes to dealing with our inner life, it takes a lot of humility. Um, and usually the first time you go to consider what's going on inside of you, we don't have enough humility. We're like, it's like you open the cupboard. Oh man. Now I'm not going to look at that. I mean, that, that, that sin, now I'm good. Er, that hurt, no thanks. Er, I tried to go look at that step before and, and it didn't work. Er, and God is saying, I, I want you to understand something about what's on the inside of you. Sin is nasty. The sin you commit and the sin committed against you, it's bad. It's brutal. And no human can look at that stuff in their own strength, and no human can deal with that in their own strength. And there's something that's so prideful about humility, about, about humanity is that we don't like to ask for help. We don't like to admit that we need it. We don't like to admit when we're broken. We don't like to admit that we need a God to help us. And it causes us to just submit under that because we can't do anything about it. And it causes us to say, 
okay, God. I have to humble myself under that reality and let you come back in me and you lift me up because I can't do anything about that stuff that I see in my inner life. But we have to face our inner life because it's not the things outside of us that are disturbing the peace inside of us. It's actually what's inside of us that is disturbing the peace all around us. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 15, verse 11. He says that it's not what a man puts in his body that corrupts a man. It's, it's actually what comes from within that corrupts a man. And that's why Jesus is into heart surgery. That's why he's into taking out our corrupted heart and putting a brand new heart inside of us. Because it's not, the world around us is not our problem. <laughs> it's the world inside of us. It's the sin inside of us. And in this passage, James is presenting these two types of wisdom. He's saying, hey, you can walk in the wisdom from God, and here's what it looks like, or you can walk in the wisdom from the world. And we read in James chapter 3, starting at verse 14, here's what he says the wisdom from the world is like. He says, he says but, in other words, he's saying, as opposed to the way the wisdom of God works, here, here's how it is. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, in other words, if you open that door, and you look at what's going on and you harbor it, close the door, leave it there, don't deal with it. He says, when you do that and, and when you don't boast about it and you deny the truth, the truth that I actually need to open that up and I need to just humble myself before the Lord and let him deal with me. But when we deny that that needs to happen in our life. He says, such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven. It's not godly wisdom. That, that's not the wisdom of God. He says, it comes from one place. It comes from, uh, it's earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. James says, it's demonic to ignore your inner life. I didn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm too nice. I, I, you know, I need, I need some work in me. But James says it's absolutely earthly and unspiritual to ignore what's going on on the inside of you. Because that's not the way of God. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. I mean, those are some strong, nasty words that I don't want associated with me. I'm pretty sure that none of you want those words associated with you. But when we ignore our inner life, all of a sudden, that sin that you committed and the sin that was committed against you, when it begins to fester because it's undealt with, it turns into bitter envy. It turns into strife in your life and it becomes its own sin inside of you. The wisdom of the world says, ignore that. It says, pretend everything's okay. Because if people really knew what was going on inside of you, they wouldn't accept you. They wouldn't love you. They, they wouldn't forgive you. And, and it may be true. There may be people who will hold against you what is inside of you. But I guarantee you that God will not hold against you what is inside you. He will actually cast it from the east to the west. He will throw your sin away. He will throw your hurt away. He will begin to heal you. And he will bring peace in place of strife in your life. See, for the person who walks in the way of the world, their pain is their fuel. That's why they can't let go of it. It is the thing that fuels and amplifies them and keeps them going because they want to prove everybody wrong. 
But in fact, if you go long enough, you will find out that your fuel will run out. It won't prove anybody wrong. It will make you look like a fool. Christ says, hey, let, let freedom in Christ be your fuel. And here, here's a statement. See, to rise to the level of success with strife and, and all of this unhealth in our life is, is to move to a place where you succeed on your own because there's going to be nobody around you cheering, cheering you on. Like, yay, look at them, they made it. You might make it with unhealth and the wisdom of the world in your life and strife and envy and all the things. You might make it, you might be successful, but you will lose all the loved ones around you. You might lose your family. You, you might lose everything that's really important to you. Here's, here's the problem when, when we ignore the sin in our life. I was talking to a friend uh, this week. He was telling me that the Holy Spirit was sharing with him some things, and, uh, and I wanted to share it with you. He said this. He said, the problem with ignoring sin is you begin to normalize it. The problem with ignoring the unhealth inside of us is we begin to normalize it. And how do you know you're normalizing the sin and unrest and lack of peace inside of you is because you get comfortable with it rather than confronting it. And this is the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. I'm running out of time today. James also says this. He says, hey, where there's envy and selfish ambition, you find every kind of disorder and evil practice. So probably by the time we get to this place, there is also, it has just corrupted our whole life. And, and I, love, I love the grace of God in this passage. And, and we can see it as we get down to verse 17 in chapter 3. Um, James, I believe, is reminding the church that, hey, although perhaps maybe some of you are operating this way, I want you to know, I want you to imagine, I, I want you to consider your family, your inner life, your relationships, your workplace. I want you to imagine it this way. See, when you're operating from the wisdom of God that comes from heaven, here's, here's what he says in verse number three. He says, he says that it's, you're going to find peace. You're going to find purity. You're, you're going to be considerate and, and submissive. submissive. He's going to, you're, going to, you're going to be full of mercy. You're going to be full of good fruit. He said, you're going to be impartial. You're going to be able to judge situations without being swayed by one person or the other. And you're going to be able to speak the truth into all situations. You're going to do it with sincerity. And, and the promise, he says in verse 18, is that peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Our uh, takeaway Actually, let me give this to you before we get to our takeaway. In your notes from James, a life, of, a life at peace ruled by wisdom from God is evident to others. I mean, people will see it, and that's your opportunity. When people see that good life shining, that's your opportunity to give glory to God and to give God credit and to lift him up. And when we do that, man, the world will see and they will know God. We're talking about wise guy. We're talking about the connection between wisdom and peace. Our takeaway is this. There is practical wisdom offered for a life full of peace. Peace can be obtained even when the most outrageous circum even in the most outrageous circumstances of life.